Welcome to the Interchristianity Podcast. I'm Isaac. I'm joined by Angela and Zephaniah, as always. How are you guys doing? Good. Woohoo! Good. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as uh, many of you know, all three of us are pursuing or have pursued our theological education at a conservative Christian school. And you might have noticed that one of us is a girl. Um, that would be Angela, by the way, in case you didn't know. Uh, she has been studying to get her Master's of Divinity and will presumably go try to find a job after she graduates. However, there are many conservative evangelicals who believe that women should be restricted from certain leadership roles in the church, leading to accusations of being outdated, sexist, and misogynistic. Certain people um, or certain episodes, I'm, I'm sorry, have not helped improve that image. So one very unfortunate one was back in February of 2019, when the Houston Chronicle dropped a bomb of, of an article that detailed how 700 Baptist churches, um, I think a mixture of independent fundamentalist Baptists and also Southern Baptist churches, mishandled or ignored sexual abuse cases over the span of 20 years. Many critics blame this problem on how conservative Christians view women. Later that year, I believe in October, Pastor John MacArthur, he's a popular pastor over in California and very conservative, was playing a word association game and was given the name Beth Moore, who at the time was a popular Southern Baptist woman teacher and public speaker. His snarky response was, go home clearly expressing his disapproval that she was going around preaching at conferences or churches to rooms full of men. Um, fast forward a couple of years later or a year and a half later and Beth Moore has since left the Southern Baptist Convention, citing misogynistic treatment and mishandling of sexual abuse at the hands of many men as one of, the, one of her main reasons why she's leaving. So we can ask some questions. Why do so many conservative Christians, including our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, believe that women should not be pastors, teachers, preachers, elders, and maybe so forth. Are they right to restrict the roles of women in at least some way? Does this not automatically mean that such Christians have a sexism problem? So we'll talk about these questions and more. So to kind of set the stage for the discussion, there are two basic positions regarding a woman's role in the church and as well as the family and those two positions are complementarianism and egalitarianism so let's try to briefly define each for our audience and then we'll talk about each of them in more detail yeah, so i would say complementarianism focuses on beneficial differences and hence the word complement and that these roles are there to support and promote equality within that sphere. Yeah, and egalitarian is more like equal in worth, like they're like equal in roles as well. Like there's no distinction between gender, which defines your roles. To make sure that we're trying to be charitable to both sides, complementarians do not say that women are not worth the same as men. They're not, that's not what they're trying to claim. They're just saying that they have a distinction in the roles they're supposed to fulfill. 
as God created. And egalitarians are not man-hating feminists, and they're not saying that there's no difference whatsoever between a man and a woman. Like, they won't say things like, men can be mothers. They're just saying that in terms of leadership roles in the church and even in the family, there shouldn't be a distinction. There's equality in worth and no real, real essential distinction in roles, except for maybe, like, again, a handful of things like being a mother and a father. And there are gradations with different complementarians disagreeing about which roles women can or cannot fill. So some of the more hardcore complementarians will say that women should not even be deacons, like a certain position of service position in the, in the church. Some say that women can't be praise leaders, so they can't stand in, on top of the stage and playing a guitar and singing. And others say like, no, that's fine. Women can do those things. They just can't be pastors or they can't be the head honcho pastor. So we'll kind of talk about those more as we move along, but it'll be good to start asking, okay, why do complementarians believe what they do? Because it seems like a, a position that automatically would not be very popular in our culture. I would say there are three, four key passages that shape complementarian view. So one is in First Timothy 2, and then there's another in 1 Corinthians 14. There's Ephesians 5 in terms of Christ and the church imitating the husband and the wife and also in the creation account. So when, when you look at it in totality, the way that these passages present themselves holistically shape the way that they see roles, complements, stuff like that. So I think there's, a, there's an appeal to the creation order. There's an appeal to the church order. And I, I think that's how a lot of it ties in. There's, so we listed some passages that complementarians more more likely use to justify their position. Um, what do egalitarians say in response to these passages? Do they have their own passages to bring up? I think they bring up other passages, but more so examples of other women throughout the Bible who've had leadership power given to them, like Miriam, who was a prophetess, or Phoebe, Lydia, all the women that Jesus empowered to like speak, even the woman at the well when he had an encounter with, allowed her to go into the city to her hometown and kind of share the gospel and share like what has happened to her and th different, I guess, examples of that. But also like they kind of point to the context of these passages, like First Timothy 2, they say that it has to do with the cult and the false teachers and the false teachings of how the women were educated. And so they were speaking out of turn within the worship service. Therefore, that is why Paul t tells them to be quiet because of these other examples and the coworkers that Paul had in Romans 16 and how Ephesians 5, it talks about submitting to one another. It's not just the woman submitting to the, the man, but it's to one another in verse 21. That's the preface and how 1 Corinthians 14 actually talks to the women learning, like to go home and ask to learn because they weren't educated. So those are, I think, what I've heard more so than anything is like, they use the same passages, but they just kind of interpret it differently with more nuance. Okay, yeah, so let me clarify something that Angela said about Ephesians 5. It says in verse 22, wives subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, 
Then verse 23, for the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, Angela brought up that in verse 21, when Paul is addressing the church overall, he's saying, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that egalitarians are pointing to verse 21 and saying, hey, that gives more context to verses 22, 23, and 24. So right. You're, sub- you're yeah. submitting to one another. So it's not right. just the wife. Yeah, it's not just the wife, but it's also the husband. And, and if anything, the husband has a higher calling to die to oneself as Christ died. And that's something I don't hear a lot of people preach about. Like they kind of forget about that part. <laughs> Just talk about how the women should submit to everything. So, yeah. I mean, in fairness, I, I do hear a lot of sermons where they put a lot on the husband and they'll say, you know, and die your, tie to yourself. You always got to say sorry first. A woman, I've heard some women say that based upon Ephesians 5. Husband always needs to say sorry first, even if he's not wrong. And I'm like, okay, that's that's an interesting interpretation. I would love to hear those sermons. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I heard like, I think it was like Timothy Keller and Matt Chandler has said some some oh, some of those things. Yeah. Yeah, you should send me those. I, I didn't. To, uh, <laughs> I personally didn't quite agree with. I don't think that's what this passage is saying. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's neither here nor there right now. We're just kind of presenting passages that are being used in this discussion right so you're saying that egalitarians they will have answers to the complementarian passages they'll say Mm -hmm. oh those don't quite mean what they seem to say Mm -hmm. and then maybe they'll have their own passages like galatians chapter 3. let's then kind of evaluate what we think might be the better argument and then we can talk about where we all personally land so let's first go to 1 Timothy 2, because that's the big one. And, and it kind of sounds in many ways straightforward, because he straight up says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And for many people, that's just a done deal. Like, well, there you go. He couldn't have said it any more frankly than that. So what exactly can a egalitarian say to that, or even a complementarian who doesn't want to believe that Women, when they go to church, need to sit in the pew and shut their mouth the entire time. In terms of this part here, I think it's a little confusing at the end, but at least in the beginning here, we see this kind of command that Paul puts out. And so typically we look closely at commands because we want to know what we're supposed to be following. And so I think to make a distinction here, I don't personally see women who choose to be pastors or preach as sinners, but I do see it as maybe misunderstanding what the passage is saying. So that that's more my stance as I articulate that. And so I think in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, it builds a, a clearer picture, not not a super clear, but a clearer picture than, than what is present. Can, can, I, can I jump in and ask you to briefly summarize what 1 Corinthians 14 says? Yes. So 1 Corinthians 14, 34 talks about women not having authority over men. And then 1 Timothy 2 points to women being silent. So when you when you look at the context, silence and the authority, 
it's presumed that this occurs in the, at least for me, the worship setting. So I don't, I don't see it as applicable in Sunday school or conferences. I see it more so in terms of the context in the church setting worship. So if it's Sunday morning, a woman cannot pastor or preach, but if it's outside, she can do whatever she wants. So that's more so the, the perspective I hold. Okay. So you would say that in this passage, in, in, in conjunction with other passages, it does restrict women from preaching, like on the pulpit, like on Sunday morning, and holding the office of pastor. Correct. And so, and so Beth Moore, when she was speaking at conferences and she was doing her own thing, that was that was fine. But she shouldn't, in your view, she shouldn't have been preaching on Sunday morning for churches. Correct. Okay. So if she's doing her conferences on the side, I have no problem with that. But in the church setting, when you're entering the local church, because this is what I see Paul establishing, because, you know, the Corinthians were wild. So he's just trying to set some boundaries. This is what I see him doing. So at least that's not as, you know, harsh as John MacArthur, who's apparently told her to go home and vacuum. <laughs> I'm not sure what he was doing. So Angela, how would you, how would you take this passage in 1 Timothy 2? I make the distinction between 1 Timothy 2 with 1 Corinthians 14 and Ephesians 5, because for me, how I read it is the relationship of the woman and the man is husband and wife in 1 Corinthians 14 and Ephesians 5, both of them. And so in that way, I recognize 1 Corinthians 14 is in within the worship setting context, but the silence where that comes in is within the relationship of a husband and wife. So I would make that distinction first and to point to that it's not necessarily like worship context, but 1 Timothy 2 is clearly worship context in that it's not between husband and wife. I mean, some argue it is between husband and wife, actually, because whenever right. a man and a woman, like in the Greek, it can be kind of, it's interchangeable. And when pairs are mentioned, most of the times Paul's referring to husband and wife. But I don't personally hold that view. I can see why someone might think that, but I don't think so. So I would distinct First Timothy 2 with uh, just man and woman in a public worship setting. So I want to okay. make that clear. Yeah. Corinthians 14 says the women are to keep silent in the churches. So I, I don't. Yeah, I, but earlier it talks about how women are to are prophesying, you know, so it's not talking about like complete silence. It says to go home and ask your husbands to learn. So in that way, I think it's more husband and wife. If you can clarify for me what you mean by were you saying verse 34 wasn't in the context of the church service or are you just saying in general, first Corinthians 14 offers other viable things for women to do in the church? I am saying it is the church setting, but when it talks about women being quiet, it's within the context of husband and wife. So it's not completely just a woman should be silent in the public worship setting in general, but it's more so referring to the husband and wife and their relationship when they go home after worship service, because in that time, yeah, they didn't know. And apparently they were causing a stir by distracting people during the worship. And I see that because earlier it talks about how women were prophesying and they were allowed to prophesy. So it's not complete silence that we see in the worship context. And that's why I say it is the worship setting, but in terms of like making sense of the whole context, like we have to consider that it's more so talking about 
husband and wife. Does that make sense? So I, I get what you're saying about verse 35. If they want to learn, they can ask their husbands at home. But he even says it's improper for a woman to speak in church. So I guess my confusion is, I, I guess to me, it's it's clearer that it's in the context of the church. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that the household codes, them, them talking about home and the relationship between the husband and wife is, is present. So I'm not ignoring that. But I, mm -hmm. I because he says, keep silent in the church, improper for a woman to speak in church. I think that supersedes the, the contextual evidence, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, and you see why they're not permitted to speak and why they should be silent. It's because they don't know. Like, and that's why they should ask their husbands who do know, who were educated, right? Because if it was complete silence in the church, I'm saying then they wouldn't be allowed to even prophesy. They should be silent in general, right? I don't think anyone is arguing that they should sit down and not say a word. I think, Z, are you saying that in 1 Corinthians 14, that still lends itself to a prohibition of women speaking in an authoritative or teaching manner? So without even going to the word study yet, I think I'm just saying like painting the contextual brush, it seems at 1 Corinthians 14, because it's talking about spiritual gifts, we only use spiritual gifts in the church setting right and as he continues then my, my mindset is if he's saying okay because we're using gifts in the church these are some things that certain people should not do in the church so if, i mean of course they want to learn they can go home I, I understand that but i think in terms of what i'm trying to process is and, and maybe i'm misunderstanding what she's saying but i feel like it's clear that it's the church setting like we're not even talking about whether women can preach or not preach, but more so the culture. Yeah, so I'm I'm recognizing it is the church setting, but I'm also recognizing that there is a layer of when it talks about silence, it's not saying silent in worship. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So you're only saying don't interrupt the worship service, go home and ask your husbands. Yeah. All right. You know, we can talk a little bit more about First Timothy 2 then. It seems like y'all agree that it's not strictly just talking about wives and husbands. It seems to be talking about something going on in church setting. What exactly does he mean that a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness or that she, a woman can't teach or exercise authority over a man? So when I look at that passage and kind of appealing to the creation order here, one of the theologians, Dr. Ellis, his, his perspective is like in Christ, we want to imitate him, male or female. And in doing so, there are certain roles at, at play. A man is to lead his wife, but also love her, be sacrificial. And in doing so, the, the woman is to submit and follow. But it doesn't mean that the woman has zero leadership potential or aspirations. And it also doesn't mean that the man is incapable of submitting because we are all submitting under Christ. And so I think Dr. Ellis paints it as in there are benefits in the home, not that the only benefit is in the home. So when First Timothy 2 continues, like a woman's only sustained through childbearing, it's not pointing to the fact that that's the only thing of worth for a woman. But at the same time, we shouldn't neglect the importance of the home as well. And that's a way that man and woman can imitate Christ. So are you saying then that the roles in the church are meant to imitate the roles in the home? 
where the husband yeah. is leading. Right. So I'm a big believer in in that kind of function, the church and the home. Yeah. Okay. And and so you're saying that this so I think a lot of for a lot of modern people, the word submission or submissiveness has a pretty negative connotation. So those of you who watch like MMA, if someone gets submitted, sounds like a very like violent thing and they're put under like a chokehold and they have to tap and they, they got submitted. And that's kind of the, I think the connotation that we get. But you're saying that it, it doesn't have to be like a bad thing. Correct. Okay. So do you have any response to that? Angela, yeah, I, I would just ask why, like, are you saying the church should function as a family, like due to your own interpretation, your own application, or are you saying that's the correct biblical one? I'm not saying the church operates as a family based in terms of how it produces or, or applies scripture. I think for me, I see the family as a building block for the church. And I see that the roles, if in, inside the church, especially when families have children, that's the easiest way to disciple. So borrowing Deuteronomy 6, when the Jewish fathers were to teach their children, you know, children look up to their parents naturally. So you, you have that discipleship structure in place. That doesn't mean if you're single or if you don't have a family that you can't do that. But I think a lot of the kind of like imagery and, and analogies, they, they use the family and, and that's not an accident or random. So if I were to try to unpack that, maybe you're saying women being submissive and men leading just in general in the church, that mirrors, it's not exactly alike, but it mirrors what should happen in the family. And that's why it's a good thing. So we have it on the kind of, smaller level in the family and then when we get to the church it should be somewhat similar correct yeah okay angela you like that that for me becomes more personal like interpretation and application because i don't necessarily see that i think marriage is one thing and then a public service and church operation is another thing so that's why i was kind of like oh like is that from scripture that you see it being mandated or is it like just personally what you see what you like therefore that's how you kind of go about it i wouldn't say it's personal i think it's when you see first Timothy two especially at the end about women remaining and stuff like that the appeal to the creation order then sets certain things in place it's not that i'm the only one that thinks this way it's it's pretty strong in terms of how the complementarians view it and it's not saying that the family runs the church or like it's not that's not the point of it it's more so saying like the things to focus on are roles and the things to focus on are how in the context of the home if there are roles then in the context of the church there are also roles that that's the only thing transferring over I, i'm not trying to say like everything in the church is going to shift over and, and imitate the family that's not the point okay, well let me let me jump in and try to give the egalitarian case for this passage and maybe for others they would say even in the home there shouldn't be that strong distinction between like men and women leading they think it should be like a partnership you know leading equally so when it comes to passages like ephesians 5 when it says men husbands are the the head of the wife some egalitarians will say head there doesn't mean what we often think as head or we has a sense of authority they'll say it either means like source 
like so husband is just the source of the wife which is kind of an interesting interpretation or they'll just say hey he's just making like a picture imagine a head of a man on the body of a woman now that's a ridiculous picture but he's only communicating that there's a radical union between husband and wife because they're made one as it says later in the passage and that's true christ and the church they are radically unified by the blood of jesus and that's all it's saying so they, they, they would say there has no implications about who should be leading and as angela said in verse 21 in ephesians 5 it says mutually submit to one another and so they'll point to that and then regarding at first timothy chapter 2 they'll say a few things one they'll say the the word for the infinitive to exercise authority in the greek it's authentane it's a unique word in the New Testament. It's actually not used anywhere else. And they'll say that it has a negative connotation, meaning that if you were to really read or properly translate verse 12 for exercise authority to have like a negative connotation, like domineer, it would be, I do not allow a woman to teach or to domineer over a man. So it, it's not saying women can't exercise any authority over a man, but based upon the surrounding situation, Paul is trying to tell some women who are possibly part of a, a goddess cult in Ephesus or influenced by it, that they are improperly exercising authority over a man. He's telling them to stop. But that doesn't mean that women who aren't domineering, they can't be some sort of leader. And so that's kind of a, a very brief rundown of what an egalitarian would say and say like, hey, if you really dig into these passages deeper in the context, they're not saying men lead, women follow. So what would you say to those? So, I mean, obviously we we think differently than, than they do. And I think a lot of it has to do with our hermeneutical perspective. So I think a lot of the egalitarian perspective is, is focusing more so on how there was a specific cultural event or circumstance as to why the apostle was writing in this way. And I think for me, when I'm reading scripture, I want to know what the authorial intent was and then contextualize it for me today. And so I think it, it's not wrong. Like how they study it is, is a, a valuable tool. Like you, you do have to understand what's going on in your surroundings and in the neighboring cultures and countries. But I think for me, specifically first answering this hermeneutical perspective is important because it provides me a base where I can now search for other things. And so I see what they're saying, like, oh, like, you know, this doesn't mean head. Well, okay, fine. But I think they look at the passages more in a disconnected way and then try to apply the cultural events per passage, whereas I'm trying to make something more of a framework. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying, like, that's just how I want to be more consistent and so I'm operating under the mindset that scripture will clarify scripture. So I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying I'm trying to better understand scripture. So the more that I read the word and interpret it, I, I want to use the word as my base. Like we all have these preconceived notions and presuppositions when we enter the text, but I want to limit that as much as possible. And so I think what helps is trying to draw from the entirety of scripture to weave something together. So that's why for me, I think the creation order and appeal is so strong for me like that's that's the hardest thing to break so, so you're saying that's so a creation order more specifically i'll read that 
part of first timothy 2 when he says in verse 13 for it was adam who was first created and then eve and you think that has a relevance in terms of roles they for sure for sure because it doesn't necessarily reference that in in first corinthians 14 but Mm -hmm. But because he references it now, I think it now clarifies First Corinthians fourteen as well. And so for me, that that creation order is it has to be there for a reason. And I think that's that's for me something that has to be explained out first before we enter into the whole issue about silence and authority. Well, I'd say personally, so Timothy's in Ephesus, and this is and so Paul's writing to him. We do know there was like a a goddess temple for I believe Artemis there. I do think it's probably too speculative to draw too much out of that because we don't know like how much these women in the church were affected by that. So I think they're speculating too much to try to draw a conclusion that they want. I am not as convinced that the word for to exercise authority has to have a negative connotation. At the same time, I do take those two infinitives in verse 12 together to teach and to exercise authority so if you were to combine them it would be like i do not allow to a woman to authoritatively teach over a man now of course that's still kind of vague so that's why for me i think it does restrict women to at least from at least some roles maybe from these being the head pastor of a church but i do think there's still room for women to be able to teach even men if the authority is understood in the church. Like she is under the authority of like senior pastors. So that's kind of how I've generally taken this passage. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna touch 13 to 15. That's a whole other discussion, but that's kind of how I've taken that passage. Um, Angela, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think my biggest thing is when people take this passage to be very black and white. Like some people take it to, the extreme like women should actually just be silent and just to learn like stay in the kitchen like learn homemaking skills like that's the extreme that i've like seen people take it especially you know at certain seminaries and uh, denominations oh which seminaries are, are you talking about that we are kind of close <laughs> to but i i won't say but and <laughs> And that's where I'm like, okay, to what extent then? Because you guys say, oh, you know, plain reading of scripture and like, oh, it's just pretty clear. Like, and so like, then I would say, and some people think it's a sin issue. Like they say like, oh, this is what Paul commanded. And if a woman disobeys that, they're sinning, therefore hell, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And And I had a professor say that. And that makes sense. It's like either you take it very clearly and literally and say, yeah, it's a sin and it's a command or like, yeah, I'll, I'll, period. And then so for me, I think when I approached this, when I started studying it and doing research on it, I realized like, oh, it's not as black and white as some people make it. So when I started researching it, I realized that it wasn't maybe as black and white as some people say it. And especially in the Greek, there's a lot of nuances and a lot of different factors that are going on. And I do think it's convincing, actually, that the word authentine is nowhere to be found. When Paul talks about other cases of natural authority, like there is a different word he uses. Yeah, and I do think context shouldn't be too big because, yeah, we don't know for sure. That's just really hard to say. Like for sure, we know there's a false teacher that are leading women astray enough 
for Paul to say something, but even then he addresses the false teachers to be men. So I do think that's a little kind of shaky ground. Yeah, so and then the creation. Oh, I'm just saying, so you wouldn't completely buy the egalitarian argument. Yeah, Maybe. I wouldn't buy both. I wouldn't buy both the complementarian or egalitarian like completely because I see flaws in both positions when it comes to this passage. And for me, it's like there's so much gray, actually. There's so many ways you can argue it depending on how you choose to interpret it. But like certain unsure things make me hesitant to be firm and saying for sure this is it. And for anyone to do that, like to me, is a stretch. I so right now I'm I'm realizing like oh there's more to it than I thought, and for me to make black and white statements to something that's not that black and white is dangerous. So I try to stay away, and that's where like other passages kind of come in, other pieces of scripture come in to make more sense of these roles or these giftings and. So I guess like I'm not conclusive. I just kind of want to push back on the strict complementarian view as well as the strict egalitarian view because it's clear that men and women are different. <laughs> so it's yeah. clear. It's just so hard to argue, especially in the husband and wife passages. Like you just cannot argue against that because there's so many other pieces but then to use one scripture to say women can't teach, I think is very dangerous. Or you would say to use just one passage where there's so much debate between yes. well-meaning Christians who do mm -hmm. take the Bible to be God's word and want to obey it, that there's enough ambiguity or vagueness here mm -hmm. to be charitable, I guess, to both sides. Right. Because even okay. in the verses 13 to 15, like the creation order, it's like, I don't know what it means that women will be saved from childbearing. Like, does that mean all women have to give birth? Like, if we take yeah, the verse literally, you know, yeah, it's those like are very interesting passages. Yeah. And to say that, like, even to use that as a creation order, like, oh, it says it's creation, order, therefore this, like, that's even hard to say, because those verses are so weird. It's so weird. Like, and there's so many. I don't think it's hard to say. He he literally says it. <laughs> it's not hard to say. <laughs> so what does it mean then, woman to be saved through childbearing? No, no, no. It's it's not trying to clarify. So when you're when you're looking at a hermeneutical spectrum, you're, you're not trying to say this is the answer. You're just saying like the arguments are pointing to this. So we should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not claiming like this is the only way to look at it. I'm just saying like you follow the evidence, right? And so he, yeah. because he mentions the creation order, it can't just be brushed away. Right? Yeah, I'm not saying it's not brushed away. I'm just saying there, even in the creation order, there's room for discussion debate. Like it's not clear. It's it's clear that the creation order is being utilized, but it's not clear why he does it. Well, even in the creation order, there's room, like some people say it's not necessary causal. Like it's not like, it could be more, explanatory right like that transitional word so like what do you say to that then you know and then like, like the, the word, whole like the word for yeah like 15, that yeah. that can be interpreted in different ways so to say oh it's creation order creation order like that's why like even in that like i think there's room for debate and so for me it's like i want to be cautious and i want to be true to scripture but to use it and to definitively say something that's 
kind of vague is hard for me to be 100% in. I, I recognize. I, I, totally, I totally see like we do want to be cautious. I guess maybe for me when I see Ephesians 5 as well, point to the husband and wife. So for me, when I talk about the creation order, I'm not, I'm not so much saying like the instance of man being made, woman being made. Obviously mm-hmm. that, but also in terms of the home. So what's the main argument for me appealing to creation order is the roles. So I think that's, that's what I see. That's like interconnected. The roles of? The man and the woman. Like the man being leader and woman being helper? Like, right. is that what you're referring to? Right. So I'm not necessarily saying like creation order is the penultimate argument for the complementarian, but in terms of roles, like, I think that's the, that's what they emphasize more. I think like you were saying, like, yes, much of this is vague and, and sometimes indecipherable because Second Timothy 2, like 15 passage is one of the hardest ones to process through. But I think a lot of times when things are present, they're they're too often, I'm not saying you're doing this, but they're too often just brushed away. Like, oh, it wasn't this, it was this. And so we, we just want to use the tools we have to look at everything, right? To be comprehensive as best. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. So when you say roles, like even that, yes, like I will admit like, yeah, there are roles based on husband and wife. Like, I know most people won't, but I will, like, acknowledge that. But even then, it's like, okay, within those roles, who defines what each gender does? Like, to say a woman's role is a helper, therefore they can't teach, that's a stretch. So how do you, like, argue for that? So the way that I see roles is first evident in the Trinity. Like, God is the Father, Christ, Mm -hmm. the Spirit is the one who illuminates, etc. And... Jesus is the one who died, not the spirit or the father. And I also draw from Deuteronomy 6. And maybe some people won't say this, but when when God tells the Israelites to teach their sons, right, father to son, ultimately the purest example of a father and son and the son being obedient is, is Jesus being obedient to the father. Now, obviously, illustrations, they don't always, they're not always 100% there. So I'm not saying that Christ was birthed by God, but I'm saying in terms of the example that we follow, right? Fathers are teaching their sons, sons are supposed to obey. I see that context where Christ obeys. So with that being said, in terms of those roles, I think it makes sense as it transfers to the family then that there are roles in there too. Because for me, nothing's random. Like if you're made this way, if you're made that way, we all have a plan and a part in God's process. So when I establish that first, that's my first stepping stone into the second argument about what the roles can do specifically in the church. And so if in the home there are roles, then in the church there are roles too. And in terms of women not being pastors, some people use First Timothy 2 because it precedes chapter 3 reasons why women shouldn't be pastors. I don't necessarily hold to that. I think it's kind of weak, like just the order of the the passage itself. But for me, I think it's If you formulate the argument from roles, I think it's a stronger point than just it precedes chapter three. So kind of, let me try to unpack all this. There's a lot there. Yeah, please. (laughs) I would, so I think the argument is more like if there are roles between husband and wife and men are supposed to be leading the household, so they have the primary responsibility in terms of teaching and discipling their children, that's the role of men in the church. It doesn't necessarily mean 
women do zero teaching, of course, women at the very least are going to teach their own children. I think any complementarian will say women should teach children or, or even women should teach other women. Where many complementarians push back is that they think it violates the roles that are created by God for women to be spiritually teaching men in the church setting. And that's and so you see this somewhat consistency across the board between the house and the church. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's a great argument. I'm just saying this, this seems to be what some people are saying and maybe somewhat what Zephaniah is saying. Do you find that convincing at all? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no offense. I think that seems like more of a jump than that is trying to connect a lot of dots. Yeah, yeah it's like it's just a lot of hoops to go through to connect, you know, and more interpretive and more, yeah, more than taking the scripture itself. So, yeah, so, so to just simplify it then for you, Angela, you would accept the argument that to exercise authority has a negative connotation. So it's just telling some women who are exercising authority badly to stop. It doesn't mean that women can't exercise authority ever. And so that right. opens the door for women to fulfill more leadership roles in the church. Yeah. Whether it's deacon yeah, or maybe even elder or Sunday school teacher, possibly even pastor. Yeah, because, and that's where I see the complementarian view, like taking extremes. It's like some people don't think then, you know, really they can't say anything to any man in any context. And, and like they say, oh, like in the Jewish culture, like, um, boy became a man at age 12, so women can't be youth, you know, pastors either. Or, right. <laughs> yeah, or like they can't co lead a small group or they can't read scripture in the public service because, you know, and it's like for me, that's just like, man, that is a lot of man made traditions and views on women. And like, and that's why I asked, like, what are roles? Because there's so many roles, gender roles that are made by society and not by the Bible per se. And to say that women should do this and men should do this is very hard for me to see that in scripture other than like the general sense of what the Bible says, which is that, yeah, Pretty men sure, are to like die like Christ and the women are to submit like the church kind of thing. So like, that's for me. So that allows for spiritual gifts like teaching, preaching to be practiced. So roles I think are a more weak argument so you're saying yeah. so you're saying you accept this general principle of scripture that men should be leading their wives mm -hmm. and maybe even in the church men should have some sort of ultimate leadership in the church obviously under jesus mm -hmm. but in terms of application that's pretty vague and that can be yeah i think that's where the, the problem place. is is like application and like I think even me saying, oh, men should be the senior pastor is controversial to some people. But I believe that we need healthy men leaders. And I think a lot of the problems that we have today is the lack of. I support fully like male leadership and I see the beauty and the design that God has for male in leadership. But I also see that women should be leaders too. Women need to be leaders too. Like it can't just be men and there is a healthy balance. You know, women are helpers, right? Women, men need some help. So women <laughs> can help leaders by also being leaders, especially because women are also taking up most of the church now. 
Well, in fairness, there are more women in the world. Right. <laughs> but in general, you see sure. more women in the church. And yeah, because some people take on normal gender roles, like to be biblical, when I don't see that at all. I guess I'm struggling. Like if you if you think the role argument isn't strong, I, I can understand that. But there aren't alternatives you're you're offering in terms of scriptural. So at least for me, I'm trying to pan out like here are things you can look at to connect those dots. Like, sure, you think there's a lot of hoops to prop through, fine, right? But if you're just saying that women can't do this, I'm not seeing where you're saying that the Bible is saying that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying like there, the Bible allows for more freedom for women to do more. So that's why I'm not naming certain things in particular. I'm just saying like, oh, like it is general and enough for women to freely exercise their spiritual gifts. The only uh, restriction that I see is within the marriage and within the senior pastor role. But other than that, it's kind of free game. And you see that in the different roles that women have throughout scripture as well in leadership position. Does that make sense? No, no, it makes sense. Like I see, I see what you're saying. I think for me, it's harder to acknowledge the senior pastor role because that's maybe something that we created more so. Like, yeah. And then also in terms of the home, I totally agree with that. Like I see that the household cults in the passages, mm -hmm. but I think for me, that's why if it's talking about the family, then it's talking about an appeal to the roles. So at least that's how I see the tie back. But I, again, I'm not trying to like hammer that into you. I think for me, I just, I think you're saying that it's more, there's freedom to apply what you see in scripture in terms of women pastoring, right? From those passages. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I don't disagree with that. I see why people can see that. I'm just saying like, if you want to construct an argument, you want to lay out for people to see like, okay, this is my claim. Here's the evidence. Here are the reasons. And then as people follow it, then they can either agree or not instead of just saying like, oh, like, I think there's freedom here for the application of it, right? Like reading this, I can see this happening, that happening. So because one, one thing is using those passages to discuss and then using other passages to formulate arguments, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like we're all looking at First Timothy two, First Corinthians fourteen. We get that, but then drawing from other passages is where we're making our arguments to support our positions. So, so I'm just curious if there are other passages that egalitarians have that that they could use, or is it just they're just we're just both looking at the passages and they're interpreting it one way, we're interpreting it another way. Well, I think like Angela said, they're usually pointing to examples of women who possibly have leadership roles, both in the Old and New Testament. Mm -hmm. So there will be the apostle that's mentioned in Romans 16. Though some mm -hmm. people think that's a dude's name. I actually do think that's a woman's name. Junius, I think. Junia? No, Junia. Mm -hmm. Junia, yeah. And they'll point to the prophetess at the temple when Jesus was a kid in the mm -hmm. book of Luke. So I think that's usually what they would do is like, see here, we have, we have examples of women in certain like, quote unquote, leadership roles. And therefore that gives us some precedent to support women being in those ro equivalent roles in the modern church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you define roles, I'm, I'm just careful because there are so many times people have used roles to argue for certain things that women should do. But a lot of those roles are man-made more than 
scripturally based and so the only role that i can see clearly is like the helper or as the church submitted to christ the woman should submit to the man you know like like that is very clear for me but then to go beyond that and to make connections beyond that like that's where i'm like "Mm, i don't i don't agree yeah yeah Yeah. i'm totally on board with that like i don't think the passage saying, you know, women are silent, they can't breathe, you know, they can't make noises, like, you know, just in the church, just sitting like a little, little mouse. It's, it's not that at all. It's very, it's actually a very terrible interpretation of, of the word silent, right? So mm-hmm. I would agree that we, that's what I'm saying, like, we have to be real careful and why we're defining it. And as we're using those passages, at least we can look at why people think that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see why, but it's just, uh, like you yeah. said, terrible interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone here w- would be like an extreme hardcore complementarian. For example, I, there's a very funny story I read a long time ago, actually from a woman. I think she's a wife of a fundamentalist Baptist pastor. And she argued for women to properly submit to their husband, they had to do things like lose on purpose in a game of ping pong. So that's an interesting way of taking the roles. I don't think most people would ever say that but you know there are examples of extremists like that that i think are are silly Um, but i think kind of trying to wrap this up so first i want to caution like i don't think every passage in the bible is like free game in terms of you know every interpretation is equally valid it's not true and you don't even have to be dogmatic to be confident that you're right if you did your study on this passage and you think like in all likelihood, your position is closer to the truth than the other one. That's perfectly fine. I think that's true for a lot of things. Um, At the same time, I would agree that this passage in particular, it's not so clear as to then conclude that people who differ from you, particularly in minor ways, are sinning and that we should make hard divisions over it. So regarding, for example, Beth Moore and and Angela has brought this up, like some people consider it a sin issue. Like, yeah, I've had heard Christians say that Beth Moore for continuing to do her ministry, she is actively sinning and rebelling against God. And I don't think that's a very charitable way of approaching it. I don't think that's just what she's trying to do. At the same time for complementarians, I think there's an additional concern that we have to address, which is the accusation like, hey, if you are restricting roles for women in any way, even if it's just a small way, like women just can't be these one, one or two or three positions in the church, that's inherently patriarchal and sexist. And when you have an inherently sexist theology, you're going to create a sexist culture, and that sexist culture is ripe for abuse. And so look, look at all this abuse that's happened. Do you think this criticism is fair? And is there a problem within the conservative church with respecting women? Yes, (laughs) I think the criticism is fair just because of like the stories that have come out of like sexual abuse or kind of protection over like the pastor or the leader within sexual abuse. And they kind of kind of sweep it under the rug a little and like try to deal with it quietly to protect the image of the pastor or like, you know, even some of the guys, you know, talk about how they can't learn from a woman professor because she's a woman. 
even though she has like a PhD and has studied the field a lot longer than they have. They just refuse to be taught because they don't think a woman should teach them or it's not biblical. And I think that kind of creates a culture of looking down on women. Like they say with their words, like, oh, women are equal. But then when it comes to certain roles and certain guys take on those roles as lesser than. And so I'm not saying it's you guys or complementarians in general, but I think it's those who practice complementarian badly. Because I think at the core of complementarianism, it's good. It's beautiful. And it has so much potential. But how it's practiced it's, can be sexist and can be abused to like push down women. So you would say complementarianism is not inherently sexist. It's just practiced in a sexist way by many, yes. many men. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So. Okay. So I, I actually will make this concession. So I don't think complementarianism properly understood scripturally and carefully is inherently sexist and does automatically lead to more sexual abuse. But it could be the case that complementarians or people who hold to complementarianism in a general way, they may be more prone to sexist attitudes. But that doesn't necessarily mean complementarianism is wrong. So that might freak some people out. So let me explain myself. There are some people who hate the nuclear family because of their own bad experiences with it. And they'll talk about, oh, look at all the abuse that happens between like parents and children, because there's that power difference, right? And that's actually true in the sense of whenever you do have that power difference and that position difference, there's always that risk of the person with the higher position is going to abuse their position. That's just what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that the the positions themselves are wrong because often the potential for good is the corollary corollary to that is the position for something bad. So think about relationships, getting into a romantic relationship and, and going into marriage. That's a position for great things. It's also the position, also the risk of spousal abuse, divorce, just horrible, like hurt that comes with romantic relationships. And so I, I could even grant that it's easy for people to misunderstand complementarianism and lead into something like a sexist or misogynistic culture, but that's not a necessary connection. And that doesn't mean complementarianism is wrong. It just means that it needs to be taught better and then there needs to be you know, more careful distinctions made. It's, it, it'll be similar to like, people who've been hurt in a relationship and like, oh no, look at the, look at the potential for hurt. And then they just, then they just run away from relationships altogether. Like that's not the rational conclusion. It's no, you need to enter into relationships better. You know, you need to handle those things better. And so then that's, that would be the question then, how do we do it better? Because there have been, a, there has been a problem with sometimes misogynistic attitudes and Beth Moore, she's mentioned certain episodes where she felt like she was talked down to as a woman. So what can be done to improve the problem? Well, I think the first thing is to actually look at women as equal. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of times, like people who do have these sexist attitudes come with the idea that they are better because they are a greater 
gender. I don't know. And so. So what's like a practical way we can change that attitude? Yeah, I think a practical way to show that they are equal is to allow for equal positions within leadership. But that's kind of hard because wherever you land on the spectrum, like that's going to limit how what kind of roles women have. But I think ultimately like women having a voice in those spaces and because like to me, it's like if complementarianism is truly practiced, then they would also have paid positions to show that they value a woman in leadership, right? So more women on paid stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like if complementarianism really does hold valuable the space that women hold in leadership, then it's reflected in how you spend your money on the staff. And I say that because there's not many positions available for women that are paid within SBC denomination. And I, I know there's a lot of factors that go into play, like budget, whatever. So right. I recognize that. But I do think there should be better, yeah, more roles other than the kitchen or snack duty. Yes. Snack duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also like allowing women to thrive in careers and in jobs. Because I think what I've seen in certain spaces is that women give up their careers, stay home with the kids and take care of them. Is that a bad thing though? It's not bad. I think it's awesome that women should do that too. But, you know, if men should be the primary teachers, why not men too? You know, men couldn't stay home and teach their kids. Like if that's truly what they believe men should do, then why not, you know? And by the way, I asked that question more to push back because my wife does work full time and I'm very proud of her for doing that. I also don't want people to think that we're dunking on women who are stay-at-home moms because that is a that is a great job too yes it's it's great it's amazing and it's beautiful but you know if a woman wants to go for a career I think that's great because sometimes women like that are seen as sinful and I think that's so toxic and like in my household like my dad didn't have a job for years and the primarily person that made money was my mom and it's because she had to, you know, and like for someone to say like, that's not but, biblical, I think. But then, some, but then someone would push back like that's not ideal. Like sometimes that might need to happen based on situation, but they'll say it's not ideal. So right. in the event that maybe the husband makes enough, they'll argue that the woman should stay home and yeah take care of the household. I mean, right. that's that, the argument. Yeah, that's very ideal. Not in my context. Most so times don't... both parents have to work just because there's not enough money. But yeah, if man like has a lot of money and the woman wants to say him, go for it, girl. You know, but if the woman wants to go out and she wants a career and she wants to make money, like go for it, girl. You know, like just to say like, oh, like women have to stay home, I think is not biblical because I think men staying home and teaching yeah. their kids and building a loving relationship with them is also really healthy. Yeah, and there might be something to that because my sister too, she sometimes has has had frustrations because she's a career woman. She's been a CPA for many years now. Mm-hmm. She sometimes has felt like she can't she, there's not a lot of women career women to talk to in church. Right. In fact, some of them tell her because she has a kid and she has another one on the way and they ask her like, "Hey, why are you still working?" You know, just stay home. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, I, I, I like working. <laughs> you know? I love my children too, but I like working. Right. And 
Yeah, and so there might be maybe more resources that should be given to encourage women and to teach them how to balance kind of work and family mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's a it's a false narrative to say that oh, the kids are bad because the mom didn't stay at home because ultimately the father is supposed to leave the home. Right. So if anything, it should be if the dad can work full time, then he should also take care of his kids. So that's not a big deal for me if women are working because both is true. If the dad can work and should lead the kids and the mom works, can lead the kids, then there's there's no issue there. So I would say a lot of times the those types of roles that are divvied up so specifically, like you stay home, I do this, like that's that's not that's not ideal. That's not good. Mm-hmm. So I would say another practical thing is education. So similarly to let's just use the medieval church for for this instance. Like they didn't let a lot of people read the word because they wanted to control the knowledge and and who would who would benefit from it, so to speak. And so I think we want to educate as many women as we can. So, you know, we cannot be scared of their intellect or, or word that they, they might be smarter than us or whatever like that. So uh, when Isaac and I served together back at ACC, we tried our best to educate, teach the same way. It wasn't like men had a certain type of training and women had something else like, oh, guys, we're going to go through logic class and women, we're going to be in our fields. Like, it's not it's not like that. Like humans have an intellectual side and an emotional side all at the same time. So. I just want to point out very briefly that Z and I did college ministry together. Not only did we teach men and women at the same time equally, I mean, I was a much better cook than every single one of our college girls. So I'm just going to say that (laughs) I was the one always making food. Anyway, continue. Uh, He's not wrong. So, (laughs) (laughs) so anyways, I'm thinking about his food right now. It's making me hungry, but I think for us, like it, it can't be that, you know, a sense of jealousy or a sense of losing worth. I think a lot of guys need to deal with that. Like you're not identified or your value isn't in how you perform or work or success, but in who Christ is. So man and woman can find that success in Christ because we're in him. So our identity, regardless of our roles, can be secure. So that's kind of how I pursue that. Yeah. And I think kind of following points that Angela and Z made, I think it's important to teach these passages in their totality so that people are getting a balanced perspective. Because often how these passages are weaponized by both sides, both men and women, is like, read that part about like, husbands, love your wives, be sacrificial towards them in an analogous way that Christ was for his church. The wife's like, see, you idiot, you know, you need to act like this. And then, you know, the husband shoots back, you know, submit to me, woman. And it's like, no, like when Paul writes these passages, he addresses like, hey, you women submit yourself. Men, you act like this. So it's kind of like you worry primarily about yourself and how you're supposed to behave as a man or a woman. And that way it kind of avoids or helps avoid that situation where particularly men, they're viewing like, oh, it says here, women should submit. And so I'm going to try to enforce that kind of insecurely protect what I think my position is supposed to be. And also teaching men that they have an enormous responsibility in terms of leading and discipling and teaching in the church as well as the home. So I think that kind of helps avoid the situation where men are having this unearned idea of superiority and self-entitlement. 
Yeah. And I think like last thoughts is just be careful with like what is biblical and then what is normative like of what the world says a woman should be or a man should be. And then also it's like not every man should be a leader too. <laughs> like there's qualifications for what makes a godly good leader in First Timothy 3. And just because you're a man doesn't mean you should be a leader. <laughs> and just because you're a woman doesn't mean you shouldn't not be a leader. And then like it's not a competition between man and woman and who's better, who gets the whoever's better gets a better role, but it's we're meant to compliment, like Isaac said, we're meant to love, we're meant to build each other up, and we're all like one team, one body, and these roles don't equal like one better over the other. And so I just want to make that clear and just to be open to submit to what scripture says, like both man and woman, and to thrive together is my last thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's been an interesting discussion and hopefully you'll join us next time for um, our next one. So this has been the intellectual, uh, the inter-Christianity podcast, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.